is the big ponder. Art is something that you must absolutely have to do as opposed to something that you just merely can do. And uh, for me, art is like a silkworm spinning its thread. It comes out of the very center of his being. Art is the same with me, and I think it has to be like that. It can't be something that you do on the uh, periphery. You have to come out of the center of you, and if it's not doing that, it's going to show in the work. Says Mike Powers, 50 years old. He's a good-looking tall guy, wavy semi-short hair, dressed casually in jeans and T-shirt. Ten years ago, he left Boynton, Florida, and moved to Berlin, not knowing anybody here, nor speaking any German. The need to express himself through his art and the desire for an extreme experience fueled his decision to take the liberty and leave his life in the construction rental business behind, a life of pools, everlasting summer and financial safety, to start a journey that you could very well call an adventure. It wasn't like a quick thought that came to me all of a sudden. I think I um, started having these little Germanic thoughts Long ago, you know, I would read Schopenhauer and uh, Nietzsche. And doing that, and, uh, you know, my grandmother's German, so kind of that influence. And, you know, I listened to Bach, Beethoven, and so the German culture always had a hold on me. I don't think the decision was 100% conscious. I think it was um, kind of subconscious, too. It's like I had an inner compass Kind of like when a uh, turtle's hatched on the beach, like a loggerhead turtle. It knows instinctively to go into the water because its inner compass tells it not to go along the beach or toward land. It, it instinctively goes into the water. So with me, I think that uh, for a long time, my inner compass was magnetized toward Germany. We meet at the Buhl Courts in Kreuzberg near the Landwehrkanal, one of the many waterways in Berlin and at the Charlottenburg Palace, a Baroque palace with a lavish garden. Like so many spots in Berlin, they both have become very familiar for Mike over the last 10 years. Berlin is a place he calls home, far away from Boynton Beach, his other home, a city of approximately 68,000 in Palm Beach County, Florida. First I thought, ah, just another expat who lives a carefree lifestyle in Berlin, as so many have in the past treating Berlin almost like a theme park, a luxury few can afford. Pursuing the fantasy of a bohemian lifestyle in one of the few places where this was and may still be possible. But Mike's story differs. He's an artist with no trust fund or sponsor to finance his life in Berlin, nor does he have a job here. Is it possible that in this day and age a guy who's been dealing with heavy machinery most of his life pursues his dream follows his inner compass and leaps without a safety net? To be an artist, without necessarily dreaming of becoming famous, nor to establish a steady income with his art. In a way, sort of thumbing his nose at the American dream. I think the American dream is to make a lot of money and to get rich quick or something like that. I think that's the official American dream. But the other American dream, I think, is to leave America and go to Europe or somewhere else and live however, a bohemian lifestyle or to have a lot of money when you do it. I mean, I have just enough money when I'm here to get by, and that's perfectly fine with me. 
I got in my business in uh, 1995. I rented out uh, construction equipment. So when I first got into business, you know, I wasn't thinking about Germany at all. And in fact, I didn't have any ideas about being a writer at that time either. I think I started the business and like a month or two after I was in it, I started writing. And uh, so I was uh, 24 at the time. And um, I think kind of my escape was to write. With poetry, for instance, if you were to look at a lot of my poems, they're kind of um, abstract. They're not something that you can like bring up in everyday conversation. You know, you just can't throw that out there. But it satisfies me. It satisfies something in me that just needs to be, um, or it expresses something that I need to express. I have this great need to um, go beyond what can be said in everyday conversation in in art. And also, um, you can um, kind of prune your words in poetry and in, in prose too. I could say something ten times and it won't come out the way I want it to, but if I sit over a piece of paper or the typewriter or the computer or whatever and write it, I can put it down exactly as I feel it or I can get pretty close anyway, much closer than I could by trying to voice it. Transformations. In those days, things kept dying around me. A nightingale's song fell down in the brambles. A white-faced possum groped in through the cat door one night, very late, found a quiet corner in the kitchen, lay down, and went upward into the light, circling. A circle of light came down, and the stain on the terrazzo floor became a mirage. A nightingale's song tangled up in the brambles. And then it was summer, and I was waking up in all these different beds in all these magnificent European cities without you. I can't even remember our last hours together or saying goodbye. But in those days, as the husk was peeling, a halo of honeybees swarmed my head. And the light kept going out of me. A nightingale's song lay dead in the brambles. Prose, poetry, writing, much more than a pastime for Mike. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I needed an escape from the tool rental shop. And my customers, they were um, blue-collar construction workers, kind of the salt of the earth. You know, you wouldn't talk about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow with uh, these guys. You know, poetry wasn't really a subject that was uh, brought up at all. But uh, it's kind of like my little, um, the place that I went mentally after being um, abused at the shop all day and uh, talking um, construction equipment and uh, being like um, obsessed with money all day long. Then I would go home and uh, read Schopenhauer, read poetry, read uh, Nietzsche or Goethe and write. And um, it was like just uh, my little uh, place to escape, I guess you could say. A need for escape that eventually led him to leap over the big pond. After a few years of trying to do both, work and write, it turned out that this couldn't ever be enough. So at that point, I, I started saving up all the money that I made. And I'm not a big spender in the first place, so it was easy. Everything that I earned, 
I just paid my bills, everything extra just just went into my savings account. So I saved and saved and saved. And finally, um, five years later, I got to the point where I felt like I had, you know, two years worth of money to, I could live, um, you know, pretty nice in, in Germany for two years. So I did that and came over here and there's always new worries. You know, you think you're going to go to a place and it's all, it's going to be all, um, freedom and, um, roses and everything like that. But, you know, it comes with an equal amount of little hindrances and worries and new little challenges if I never came over here, I would have felt guilty. I would have felt like I never did anything in life. Mike could have decided to move to any other big city in the U.S. And that might very well have been easier for him. But he knew that it had to be more extreme than that to make it count for himself. Thus, Germany, Berlin. Goethe played its part in this decision, too. I've been reading Goethe for years, uh, different books, Faust was one of my favorites. Conversations with Eckerman was also a, a, a favorite book of mine, which wasn't, it was just Goethe talking about all these different subjects. And then the Italian journey, or the Italian Risa, was probably my favorite part of his life, where he um, just kind of left Weimar in the middle of the night, didn't really tell anyone, and went to Italy for... I think two years total he was he was there. And although that wasn't really what I was thinking of when I moved here, it was similar to what I what I wanted was a couple years here and uh, just to be bashed with a different culture and um, like he was with, with Italy. And um, for him, it was a really uh, transformative period on several different levels, not only artistic, but even sexually and just you know the environment in Italy the people are, are much different than Germans and so it was kind of for him a metamorphosis and I was hoping for the same kind of metamorphosis here coming here I came here at about the same age he went to Italy at 37 I came here at 39 and uh, the difference is he came back in two years and I've, I'm still here 10 years later. Goethe as an influencer for an adventure Not one to climb dangerous and high mountains, but the mountain within. To grow as a person and an artist. I'd been in a shop for 16 years straight. My shop had bars on the front windows. In a way, it was like being in a jail for 16 years. Although it wasn't all bad. It was, I had a lot of fun, a lot of fun experiences at, the, at my shop. But... You know, I felt very restrained there. So when I came here, it was like throwing all that off, throwing off all the chains, and um, finally being able to do, it, do what I want with a ton of free time. Never had that before. And uh, devoting myself to the arts and um, throwing myself out of my comfort zone. And, um, and now being able to see... Florida through a different lens, that would have never happened if I hadn't come over here. And also being able to see America through a different lens. There's things that I know and realize about Americans that I never would have known if I hadn't gone away. Like what? Just all the um, 
little um, idiosyncrasies, all the little things that make Americans who they are. When you've only lived and experienced that, you can't really see them from a proper distance or through the perspective of a, of a European. Europeans see Americans much differently than uh, Americans see themselves. Americans seem to be much more into appearances, into being defined by what they have as opposed to who they are. I think that's not only an American thing, but it's more prevalent in America than it is here, I think. And that really um, kind of uh, stood out to me after I came over here more than anything else, I would say. Journey to the end of the night. With a bottle of Belgian beer, I stand among pigeon feathers and a choir of darkening leaves. The murky Landvag Canal traveling under my feet, choppy ripples painted with amber horns and a blotch of floating swan. I watch it pass into the mists. I watch the clouds devour a ferris wheel and a flying purple goose. I watch the remaining fragments of the sun fade as night comes and places a shadow on me. I am not supposed to be here. Something happened. I am standing on the wrong continent. I have strayed into the wrong myth. Yet here I am, half drunk, heart torn by butterflies and maenads, by the glittering palette knife of some mad expressionist painter. In a word, by love, I sit listening to carnival music, ambling over the waters. Yeah, the first few months, I felt kind of... um, I broke up with my girlfriend just before I moved over here, and we had been together for 11 years. So um, that gave me a feeling of emptiness, too, because I didn't have... I, I felt like... I was, like, almost desperate for um, someone to fill the hole that she left. So there was that. There was the hole that um, not working left. And then also add to that the fact that I didn't have any um, friends at first. So um, I had no one to um, share my experiences, which I, I was doing a lot of amazing things. I was going to museums, touring all the cities. I was uh, doing a little bit of traveling then. But I was all by myself and I love solitude but um, you know sometimes solitude can be a little overwhelming and um, so that's how it was at at first you know that's the thing that I I eventually got used to it and I eventually met people and and, um, I think it took about three months until I had a little little group of friends drinking friends that I'd hang out with and um, after that you know, I almost had to fight to get my solitude back. Some could say Mike leads a bohemian lifestyle. Let's get into that. What or who is a bohemian? The word stems from the French bohème and emerged in the early 19th century when artists and creators began to concentrate in the poor Romani neighborhoods. Bohemian was a common term for the Romani people of France who were mistakenly thought to have reached France in the 15th century via Bohemia, a region that is now part of the Czech Republic. Today we may consider Bohemians as people who practice an unconventional lifestyle with no structure, no worries about the next day. Whereas Mike's life is surprisingly structured, 
due probably to the other big influencer next to Goethe, the philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, who lived in the 18th century. I bought a book of his essays, and in the beginning of the book, in the uh, intro, they talk about his uh, daily life. And I think what he would do was, when he was living in Frankfurt, he had the same routine every day for 27 years or something like that. And that was, he would wake up in the morning, drink a strong cup of coffee, and he would write all day. He would write until lunch. And then he'd go to the Englischer Hof. I don't know if this order is right, but he would go to the Englischer Hof in uh, Frankfurt, have a nice lunch, and then he'd uh, come home, play the flute, which he was actually, I heard he was really good at. And uh, then he would um, maybe read for a couple hours and then he would go out on his daily walk which was two hours every day rain or shine he would go out and do his walk then he would come home and maybe have dinner and that night he would go to uh, a show somewhere and he did that for 27 years straight and um, so I wanted to kind of experience something similar how would you compare your lifestyle your structure of a day to Schopenhauer's now it's pretty similar in that I wake up early, like him. I do my writing or my art in the morning. Then I'll have a light lunch or whatever. And I'll do a little more in the afternoon. I always go out for my, my walk. But I think that was, uh, I'm not really thinking of him when I do it. I think that's just something that just feels right for me. And I just, I need structure too. And um, I have a very structured life just like that. There's not that much variation. I think just like you have to give structure to art, you have to give structure to your life. And um, so if you have a, a bohemian or adventurous lifestyle, um, you know, one bohemian moment after another, or one adventure after another, it's kind of senseless unless you have the structure or the form or the ritual which brings it all together. Two years into this new and fairly carefree life in Berlin, dedicated to his personal freedom and artistic expression, came the unexpected, another adventure, a child. Probably the first uh, weekend when I found out that I was going to be having a son, I, I, I felt like, uh, uh-oh, here was another uh, prison or something like that. But I got over that pretty quickly. It was unbelievable how quickly my attitude toward that changed. But, I, you know, I, I didn't want a, a kid ever in my life, I don't think. And then... You know, within the first weekend, my thinking about that totally flip-flopped. And um, then I started seeing all the positive things about it. And then um, maybe something biological took over, too, that I can't even, like, define. But it also tied me to Berlin more than it ever would have. And I wanted to be tied to Berlin. So um, that was also a positive thing. And then um, it was an experience that I, that I think I needed that I never would have known I needed by bringing him into the world. Balancing life with a child in Berlin, Alfie, who mainly lives at his mother's, and his new girlfriend, Heather, while living a free life dedicated to the arts. Here and there, a job as a movie extra is all Mike does in terms of paid work in Berlin. To finance this lifestyle, he regularly goes back to Boynton, Florida to his other life, working in the very place he escaped from, the construction tool rental shop. It is also a chance to be with his parents. 
One thing that I would say is kind of tough, has been tough for me, is uh, every time I go back to the States, I'm older, but my parents are also older and, and growing more obviously um, feeble. And my mom now has Louis Body's uh, dementia. So when I go back to Florida, this is one of the things that I'm, I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be taking care of her a little bit and um, you know, cooking all the meals and stuff like that. And um, so I saw her, um, her kind of slow deterioration with this um, over the last uh, like five years. I saw it slowly come on. And then every time I went back, it was just a little worse. And now it's to the point where she, it's hard for her to even speak. Yeah, that is just something that I've learned to deal with, and it's been very difficult. But yeah, just seeing them slowly go downhill every time I go back has been pretty difficult. But if I were there, it would, wouldn't be any easier, really, I don't think so. Are you ever torn to make a decision of living just here or just there? Are you ever torn between these two places? Not yet. I mean, this is always going to be uh, my priority because he's here. And uh, Heather, she's got a job here, so she's totally settled here. So I don't think... Um, right now I'm not torn, but um, you know, maybe if my brother uh, sells the business and, um, and then I don't have that anymore, then uh, I, I would have to uh, figure out um, whether I want to you know, get a job here of some sort, start a business, or, you know, I don't think I'd go back there. I think I'd just be here and kind of live uh, hand to mouth and, um, for a while until I, until I figure out what I want to do. But, uh, but no, right now I, I'm enjoying um, living kind of the best of both worlds. Living in both worlds made it also possible for him to experience new talents within. Well, I knew I was an artistic type. I just didn't know I could draw or paint when I was there. And I, I actually didn't know that till I moved here, till I was, uh, I guess, 44. And uh, Heather, my girlfriend, came home one day with two pencils and a couple pieces of paper and an eraser, something that anyone has around the house. Before that, when I, whenever I tried to draw, it was always with a pen, just, just doodling and messing around. And uh, I just draw something and it wasn't very good and um, then I tried with a pencil and I was like I'm really gonna like really try to draw something cool and um, I think the first thing I drew was uh, Socrates face one of the things that he said was uh, know thyself or I think he said that um, but uh, I think he was the one that said that but I put the quote right next to his face but I, as I was drawing his face I was like wait a second this is uh actually kind of good it's not horrible anyway and said so if i really practice maybe uh the next thing i draw will be a little better so then i uh took a picture of uh someone and took a picture of a lady sitting in front of a wall and i drew that and i was like that's pretty good too it's strange i can actually draw and so i think the next day i went outside and i was looking at the buildings and the canal and i was like Oh my God, this is a revelation. Never knew I could draw, and now I like have to draw all this stuff. So then I started drawing, and uh, eventually I became as obsessed with that as I am with uh, writing. So now I have both things. I have writing and drawing. I think I have this uh, desire or this need 
to um, make more of everything that I see. So I see it as like kind of a dictionary. It's um, words. It's um, free over there. It's just it's just really nothing until it's transferred into art, and then it becomes something more. So when I walk around the city, I look at the lake, I look at the bridges, the buildings, and they don't really mean much to me until I turn it into art, and then it becomes, like, certified, I guess you could say. Is it like an enhancement? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I, I wrote one of the things that I said somewhere in one of my poems, is that Berlin is a beautiful woman that I'm trying to embrace, but every time I think I've got her, she disappears. So that's how I feel. Um, I see, I, you know, you walk around and you see the way the light plays on the water, or um, you see the way the light falls on people or leaves in the trees, and you want to um, go into that, and you want to like really grasp it and um, maybe even die in it, but um, you can't do that, so you have to make more of it. And in making more of it, for me, it's, or to capture it, I guess you could say, for me, it's, um, it's, it's getting it down on paper, and whether it's through writing or drawing or whatever it is, and then I feel like I have something. So that's that need I always have. In a world where money means a lot to most people, this is a unique lifestyle Mike has chosen. A proverb says, rich is not who has the most, rich is one who needs the least. In terms of money, or the accumulation of things, this is true for Mike. He's rich, because he took the liberty to follow his dream. His lifestyle is more or less accepted by Heather, the British girlfriend he's about to marry soon. She wakes up at six every day. She's off to work by seven. And when she leaves to go to work, I'm usually um, awake, wide awake, but lying in bed still. And um, sometimes when she comes home, I'm in the exact same place. <laughs> I don't think she's too happy about that when she sees that, especially when the house isn't uh, totally picked up and clean. So, uh, but what she doesn't see is that um, between the two lying in bed periods, I have been out, I've gone for my two-hour walk, I've written a poem, I've written uh, a short story or drawn something. I've done a lot in the artistic realm, But yeah, I mean, the fact that uh, it's not bringing in an income isn't uh, her favorite thing. But overall, she accepts that you live this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. She's been accepting of it ever since. It, it's been like this since, since we met. And um, I think she's accepted that there's not many changes coming on the horizon. <laughs> A life dedicated to the arts. Mike followed his dream or his inner compass. While some may not even have a dream, many of those who do may not dare to actually pursue it. For Mike, it was a compelling call to an adventure he could not resist, a much-needed adventure to be continued. I'm always wondering what's next, but I am definitely not bored. It's just a matter of, right now, the big question is, how do I synthesize my art, my drawing, my painting and my writing and where do I go with that exactly but this is something that I'll do until I die I think I, I will never quit I have to have an artistic outlet 
And um, so no matter what the results are, whether I make money with it or not, I create art for art's sake, and I will continue to do that. I don't see, see myself ever stopping. I may not write for a couple months, but while I'm not writing for a couple months, I'll be drawing and painting and vice versa. That was Mike Powers in this podcast episode for The Big Ponder, produced by Susanne Papavasiliou from Berlin. You've been listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin-Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of the Big Pond that make this series possible.